Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast. Andre Galliper here after a victory by the New York Knicks over the Indiana Pacers. It was a heart stop. But listen, I never expected them to lose. But that 20-point lead in the first half, if you're following me on Twitter, you know it. I called it, just like every other Nick fan on Twitter. They called this happening. The outrage, once it did happen, was probably more egregious than it happening. Like, who didn't see this coming? You can't, you can't rely on first quarter, second quarter, 20 point leads. You, it's a joke. The team hits two three. You don't score. They hit two threes in a row. It's 14 point lead. It's a whole new game. Like this happens every day in the NBA, a thousand times a day. Now we established in the last show that the Knicks do it more than everybody else or second, (laughs) second most. So we know it's a Nick thing and the Knicks deserve their criticism and Tibbs deserves his criticism. You go on down the line, but let's not act like these second quarter 20 point leads are these insurmountable leads that the Knicks are supposed to hold on to. That's just a ridiculous notion. Get, get over that. Now, when that lead got to 25 in the third quarter, now we talking. I still wasn't confident, but you gotta feel good. You gotta feel good. 25-point lead in the third quarter. Granted, it was like 25 points. I I didn't go back and check, but it was probably 25 points for like 30 seconds. But no team has lost a 25-point lead in the NBA, a 25-point third quarter lead in the NBA yet this season. So that was about to be that was about to be egregious. It really was. But to be surprised about it at this point when the team has done this all year long. Like, come on. What are you watching? What are you watching? And I will say that to me, this was a three-point game. It wasn't like they came back by they came back 25-point deficit and with with two minutes to go. It was a three-point game with nine minutes to go. If you ask me, kudos to the Knicks for keeping a three-point lead for nine minutes in the the fourth quarter. Give the Knicks credit. Kept a three-point lead for nine minutes in the fourth quarter. Against one of the best fourth-quarter teams in the league. That's impressive. Almost as impressive as losing a 25-point lead in the third quarter. But... Down the stretch of this game, you saw some of the same bad habits. I did say I saw some good things in the midst of some of the bad things. I saw some good things. I thought that they managed the anxiety of the situation. You know this is in their head. I talked about this in the preseason. I said in the preseason that winning close games is about habits, is about confidence. And you want to establish establish those habits and establish that con- the confidence in each other that you can come through at the end of the game. Now, obviously, it's it's tenuous. You you start you start to develop some bad habits, and everything falls apart. But I I thought in the preseason that it was good to have a couple close games and managing the close games at the end. 
so that you have an idea of what, what your teammates are going to do and you know, how they're going to respond. You start to develop those muscles. The Knicks are doing the opposite. They're developing muscles to lose leads. And they're finding new ways to do it. And you saw Jalen Brunson turn the ball over twice. He took a couple bad shots early in the fourth. Well, he turned the ball over late in the fourth, but he, he not late enough that they couldn't recover. But you saw, you saw turnovers from him. You saw a couple bad shots when the when the game was starting to turn. I saw Julius Randle really have some bad body language off of one of Jalen Brunson's shots, where Jalen wanted a foul call. It was really a tough shot, a difficult shot, and Jalen was uh, Julius was open in the corner. It would have been a tough pass, but a pass he should have aimed to make. And you know. I can sit here all day. Whatever whatever good things you have to say about Jalen Brunson, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to do praise hands. Everything you say about Jalen Brunson, I'm 100% there with you. But there has to be honest telling, too. There's a little too much ball dominance with him. And it works down the stretch of the games because he's coming through. He's coming through big time. But throughout the game... I think it could be a little detrimental to everyone else's rhythm, namely Julius Randle, who has been has not looked quite himself. And when I say himself, I mean what he's been this year. The last couple of games, he just really seems like he's he's out of rhythm, making very stupid decisions, but just really not not having a good feel for the game. And the way Jalen is playing, it's hard for anyone to have a good feel for the game. You've seen how relatively good. I, I think, you know, IQ's numbers, his his surge in production since Brunson got hurt and starting when RJ was out, very impressive across the board. Like any good thing you say about IQ, I'm probably going to agree with you as well, but his numbers are similar to what Randall's numbers were before December. Not from the defensive perspective, because IQ has been top-notch all year long. Give him credit. But from an offensive perspective, even though Julius Randall's numbers look good, you knew that it wasn't consistent throughout the game. That there were ebbs and flows in the middle of the game in his decision-making and shot-making. But at the end of the game, it evened out. He might have had a hot streak in the first quarter, barely did anything in the second quarter, a little hot streak maybe at some point in the third or the fourth, and but you know missed, missed and took bad shots and contributed to a, a, a doldrum for the team. Right, and that's you know that's, that's human. They're human, but then Randall in December, his numbers became more consistent throughout the game. His efforts offensively became more consistent throughout the game. It was more of a process that he was going through, so it was duplicatable. It wasn't just random hot streaks. I bring that up to say that IQ's numbers can be a little deceiving, in that sometimes he's not. There. Sometimes he's not the factor you need him to be offensively. 
obviously he's going to miss some shots too. That's human nature, but he's not creating. He's not making the same plays. He's not making the same decisions. He's just not as much of a factor on the floor. He's not the factor that you need him to be sometimes when he's on the floor. And when he's on the floor with Brunson, obviously Brunson's going to dominate the ball and he's going to be off the ball, which I've always said that he's more effective off the ball, but not really if Brunson's not passing the ball. And Brunson has really gotten to that place where the ball doesn't leave his hands sometimes, but it's it's one of those things where it's not a problem yet. It's not a problem all the time, I should say. When the Knicks hit those doldrums like they did in that third quarter, and and Brunson then has to come out of the game. Now no one's in rhythm, and now you're getting sometimes the bad IQ who's not creating enough or not making enough shots and not making the same decisions, not taking it to the rhythm to the rim. And now you don't have any offensive flow, and maybe you would have had a little bit more offensive flow if you had a little bit more ball movement earlier in the game, even when you were playing well, because you were playing well because Brunson was playing well. So when Brunson comes out, nobody has it going. Not enough. Now, some of this may be my imagination. I get it, and it's not going to be true every single game. But I do believe, and Brunson's a part of some of these doldrums, some of these runs, Brunson is on the floor. But I do believe that the second unit is a big part of these leads being lost. They may start with the first unit sometimes. They may end with the first unit. But the second unit is not scoring consistently enough game to game throughout the game. Maybe in the second quarter they play well. In the third quarter they don't. Okay? And I think there needs to be, I feel like there needs to be a little bit more flow to the offense, even when Brunson is in the game. Brunson playing this well does not necessarily mean that the team is playing to its potential offensively. Sometimes it's just, you got one person carrying you, it looks good on paper, but it's, it's not really functional long term. And it's not functional throughout these games. And that's why there's so many ebbs and flows. Because sometimes teams can adjust to what you're doing. And that's what the Pacers did yesterday. They adjusted to what was happening. And the new wrinkles kind of took guys out of their rhythm. They started blitzing the pick and rolls and double teams, etc. From different places. They were doubling. And Randall was just very indecisive. On those double teams, I keep talking about it. He won't make the first pass. He passed up RJ down the stretch and threw the ball right to TJ McConnell, who was a thief. Why would you even want to play with McConnell like that? He was such a bad pass. The ball hit McConnell in his stomach. McConnell McConnell caught that like a six-year-old. The ball was thrown to his stomach. RJ ran right in front of him. It was a pass that needed to be made. He didn't make it. Probably because McConnell hedged and feigned towards RJ just a little bit, but he was nowhere near catching that ball. He thought he was faking to RJ. He didn't fake. He just looked at RJ. He thought he was faking McConnell out, I guess, but ridiculous. The ball should have gone to RJ right there, and it didn't. And he's consistently passing up 
on the first available pass out of those double teams, and he's holding on to the ball, and they're taking the ball from him. Just get rid of the ball, man. Stop sitting there holding the ball, thinking you're going to get a foul call, thinking the ball's not going to get deflected. The first pass is the best pass for you. There may be another, there are some other players who can sit there and hold on to it and pick and choose who they want. That's not you. That's not the right play. Make the first pass that's open and then let that player make a decision. Earlier in the game, he passed on Brunson. Brunson was wide open for a catch. He didn't throw it to him. He wanted to throw it to somewhere else. They might have scored on the play. Don't get me wrong. But Brunson, off your double team, is going to find the open person. He's going to make the right play. Just get rid of it. That's almost like he's stat padding because he wants the assist. And it drives me nuts. If that's what's happening, it drives me crazy. I don't want to accuse him of being a selfish player. I don't think he is. But I do think that that players get stuck in that mode sometimes where it's like, oh, I got to make the pass to the open shot. No, you can make the pass to the hockey and and get the hockey assist. It's okay. It's not going to show up in the stat column, but you know you made the right play and you're going to win. And when you if you lose a game, you're going to be mad that you lost because you turned the ball over because you were trying to get an assist. And that's happening consistently. It's not the only problem. It's happening consistently. But go back to the point I was making. Jalen Brunson being so dominant on the ball, I think is taking Randall out of his rhythm. And that's not a good thing because Randall's still going to get his shots. That's the problem is that Randall's still going to shoot. He's going to take bad shots. Okay, so you don't want that. You want Randall to be in some kind of rhythm. You want the ball movement to find Randall in advantageous positions on the floor. You don't want him, okay, it's your turn, Randall. I'll give you a play now. That's what happened down the stretch in the Milwaukee game too. Brunson was making big plays, and then Randall made a play. So it was like, oh, let's get Randall the ball now. It's like, no, let's not get Randall the ball now because he's not in rhythm. He just made a nice play. Okay? If you're going to run a play, run some offense, and then the ball finds Randall, then okay, cool. But don't do this my turn, your turn stuff. That's ridiculous. And that's why even though RJ has been relatively inefficient for his whole career, we talked about that, how he's better in the second half, and the numbers in the second half of the seasons are typically better, and how he's gotten he's gotten straightened out even this year, and then he got sick, and his numbers took a tumble, and then he got hurt again, so you expect him to to have a little struggle with his efficiency coming off this hand injury. But all in all, and he had a very good game last night, all in all, RJ's been better. So the thing with RJ is that RJ doesn't have to have the ball in his hands all the time to be effective. So Jalen Brunson can sit there and hold the ball for the whole time, and the ball can find RJ, and RJ is going to figure out how to get his shot. It might be a bad one. But he's going to figure out how to get his shot. And he's usually going downhill. He's going towards the rim. Which is a good thing. Whereas Randall, when he starts taking his bad shot, because there's not that much time on the shot clock, because Brunson dribbled the whole shot clock out, his shots are going to be bad shots. Or bad decisions. And that's a big difference between the two of them. So RJ will play better. RJ will play, can play better with a Brunson dominating the ball, but I don't think Julius is always in that right mindset where he can just touch the ball with eight seconds on the shot clock and make a good decision. I just don't think he's that. He's not that guy, not right now at this second. 
he needs to get into his rhythm. He needs to get into his flow. He needs to consistently see those double teams so he can get a feel of what he needs to do. It takes him longer to process it. And and maybe maybe Jalen is the guy who can be a little bit more efficient without having the ball in his hands. Maybe Jalen can get the ball with 8 to 10 seconds on the shot clock left and and make something happen. Maybe 8 seconds is too much. Yeah, about 8 seconds. And make something happen and get a more efficient shot than Julius Randle would. Maybe it needs to be reversed a little bit more often. Okay? Because I... I and it's, it is tough to make these points because they're getting to these big leads. In order to be losing all these leads, they have to be getting these leads. So whatever they're doing to get these leads, you want them to continue to do it. But the team, the defenses are, are adjusting to what you did. So you have to adjust too. And I just don't think they do that very well. They don't do that very well as individual players. And they clearly don't do it very well as coaches. But it's really, to me, it's the players that take more of that responsibility because if if we got you a mismatch, Julius Randle, and you got that mismatch, you gotta make you gotta make them pay. If they double team you, you gotta make them pay. That's not on yes, Tibbs can put people in better positions and all that kind of stuff. I'm not absolving him. But Julius Randle is the reason why good plays are not being made. NBA players need to be able to read double teams and get good shots out of it. The double teams are going to come from random places. A lot of times they come off of penetration, which is what the Knicks typically count on, is that there are going to be double teams in penetration. You're going to kick out and get a good shot. You hear Tibbs talk about that after every game. So it's not all schem- It's not always schematic. It's your decision-making. Okay, so the Knicks just need better processing during these runs. Because at the end of the game, they're depending on Jalen Brunson's clutch gene to get to get away with it or even come close to getting away with it. You know, you have a situation now with Jalen Brunson. What's the numbers? 85 points in, uh, in, in the clutch this year. 55% from the field. 50% from three. 82% free throws. And you remember, he missed those old free throws down the stretch in that Chicago game. So... That percentage is higher if you take that game out of it. And then he missed another free throw in maybe Toronto, maybe. An 8-2 to two assist to turnover ratio. So in the clutch of the game, Jalen Brunson is saving you. But the meat of those lost leads earlier in the fourth and in the third, he's either not on the floor or not playing that way. Not playing with that kind of urgency. So they need a process to to kind of stem these tides when things are going against them. They need a better process than they have right now. Okay, when teams start adjusting, they got to get back to basics. Okay, let's just run out basic stuff and get the shots we want instead of just running stuff that gets Julius Randle the ball in the wing or ISO Jalen Brunson. And what consistently annoys me, and I see them all do this, but last night you saw an you saw it three times. IQ was one pass away. He was in a post entry position for Julius Randle with a mismatch in the post, not at the top of the key at the free throw line in the post. But the center came over and was zoning off the paint. The IQ passed on giving him the ball, and he went away from it. He did that twice. 
Give Julius the ball, and you have to have faith that he's going to make the right decisions. Don't just run something else. The Knicks run things sometimes just to get isolations on mismatches with Julius Randle. You have one coming down the court. This was early in the shot clock. You already have it. Take advantage of it. If the double team comes, you have to have faith he's going to make the right decision. If he's not going to make the right decision, that's a whole other problem, and we've already, we've already discussed it. But you don't of not pass him the ball and pass it somewhere else. You've got to give it to him. And then there was an opportunity with R.J. Barrett. And he's, he often does that with Mitchell Robinson when he has, a lot of them do that with Mitchell Robinson, when he has a mismatch. Give them the ball. Have faith that they're going to make the right decision. The whole point of your offense is to draw a two on the ball. You're going to draw a two on the ball because you see the, the center is already cheating. Well, how do you pass that up? Like, come on. Three times in the same game. He did. If he does that one time and I'm on the bench, I'm saying something. But all that to say, when IQ is in the game and he's the primary, but when he's the point in that second unit, he has got to get more consistent offense out of that unit. Some of that is on him, but some of that is on the Knicks fans' nemesis right now, Isaiah Hartenstein. And I, anyway, I talked about it in the previous show. The fall of Isaiah Hartenstein in the eyes of Knicks fans is so hilarious to me. But the numbers support it. His, his plus minus over the last stretch of games is terrible. It's terrible. There were rebounds available last night that he didn't even jump for. Indiana got those rebounds, and that's what contributed to their runs in the second quarter and at the end of the third quarter. And he got yanked after there were two offensive rebounds that the Pacers got, and he was in the area. There was one rebound where he was depending on IQ to get the rebound two feet away from him. He should have jumped to get that. He had to pursue it, and he didn't. He got pulled right there on the spot. So Isaiah Hardenstein said a couple weeks ago that he had, I believe, an Achilles injury that was nagging him. And this was a couple weeks ago. And he said it was just getting worse. I'm going, because he was playing better earlier in the season, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he might be hurting from this injury right now. And he's just toughing it out. And we've seen Isaiah Hardenstein be a hustle guy for the Knicks, make some big plays. We've seen it. We, we've talked a thousand times about the Knicks not utilizing his skill sets and all of that, but we're not going to go into that right now. Defensively, he's not as good as Mitchell Robinson. I told you that day one. I told you that. Right? Even when Mitchell was in foul trouble and, oh, why does Mitchell get that contract? Whatever. I told you day one Mitchell Robinson was better defensively than Hardenstein. And now the season has played out, at least half of it. And it's never been more obvious. But as it stands, I don't see a reason to have Hardenstein in the game over Jericho Sims. I don't see a reason to have Hardenstein in the game over Julius Randle in a small ball situation. Which I think, personally, the Knicks should go to a little bit more down a stretch of these games. Not to say that Mitchell's a problem, because he gives you an added benefit. He helps you stop sometimes. He gets get some good stops. He had one last night. He gets some big stops. But there are situations, and again, situations important, where the Knicks need IQ, Grimes, Brunson, RJ, and Randall on the floor. 
And last night you saw Quentin Grimes, who was having a good game, sat out the whole fourth quarter. It's funny because somebody on Twitter, Quentin Grimes turned the ball over while the Pacers were making a run. He got double teamed and he lost the ball again, something he's making a, a habit of doing. And a lot of times, and in last night being an example, it could have very easily been a foul. I think it was in the third quarter. He got the ball knocked out of his hands. He starts chasing the ball down. He goes to pick the ball up, and he bangs his head on uh, one of the Pacer players. And he's sitting there holding his face. He loses the ball. They get a layup or whatever. Tibbs calls a timeout immediately. He's disgusted. Somebody on Twitter says, the referees complaining about the referees. They're not giving. They're not calling fouls. Or the Knicks are being bum rushed by these defenders. Yada yada yada. And Quentin Grimes loses the ball, and now you're guaranteed that Quentin Grimes is not going to touch the ball for the rest of the game. And I and I was about to comment about how dramatic he was being. Quentin Grimes did not play in that entire fourth quarter into the very end. He literally did not play that entire fourth quarter into the very end. One, your best defender, size wise. Quickly is probably literally literally the best defender. Besides wise, Quentin Grimes is more versatile. The best defender. He's turned himself into a very good spot up shooter. He makes good plays out there. And you saw he made a big three down the stretch. Even after not being in the game the entire fourth quarter. Comes off the bench cold, makes a big three. Huge. Right? Quentin Grimes did not play that whole fourth quarter. Quickly, he deserved to play too. The player who didn't deserve to play was probably Julius Randle, followed by R.J. Barrett, right? But you're not going to not play Julius Randle for various reasons. R.J. Barrett probably shouldn't be playing down the stretch of all of these games, not because he's not capable down the stretch and he made some big free throws last night, but because defensively he is a target. R.J. can't guard anybody where he has to fight over screens. He can't do it. He cannot do it. He doesn't get low enough. He doesn't move the screener. Way too straight up and down going around that screen. That screen, and He don't have a chance. You saw Grayson Allen murder him with that weeks ago. You saw it last night with Quentin Grimes on the floor. He eats up those responsibilities. So when he's not on the floor, it becomes an issue. It becomes an issue. So that's something to look forward to going forward is who, who's going to close out. Mitchell's important too, but with Quickly's resurgence, if you can call it that, and his importance to the team being so obvious, blatantly obvious at this point, sitting him down has to be situational. Same thing with Quentin, but Quentin's defense is always there, and his size is important because he can guard more people. So depending on who they're playing, they may need Quentin on the floor to guard you know, that bigger forward, that bigger guard, etc. Meanwhile, it's RJ and Julius who are the guys that aren't always consistently playing well and aren't always consistently a plus on the court. RJ more than Julius, quite frankly, as much as I I see RJ's turnaround and efficiency offensively on both ends of the floor. He's not always a plus, but they're never going to sit. They're never going to sit. And I believe this was a point of conversation earlier in the season, too, 
where you saw quickly playing well, because Quickly's played well. I told you about his floor game. All year has been good, even if his offense wasn't. And that wasn't true for RJ, and it wasn't true true for Julius. And there were lineups where those lineups were more effective on the floor than the lineups that included Randall and RJ. That was the case earlier in the season. And then they went on a win streak, and that kind of started to turn around. Now you might be in a situation where it's kind of you know a good problem to have because you have six guys, really seven if you count McBride to a, to a much lesser degree, who play to a plus when they're on the court. So who you're finishing with has to be a matchup thing, except when it comes to Julius or RJ, and then it's not a matchup thing anymore. It's these guys are going to play. Same thing with Jalen, but that goes without being said. So it's going to be interesting seeing how that goes going forward. And the Hartenstein situation is uh, is another interesting thing to look at going forward. Is is Tom Thibodeau going to be stubborn about Hartenstein? And not you know he loves playing Sims. That's one of the things that Nick fans always get wrong is they think that Thibodeau is just anti young player. And I made this point before. He was desperate to play Quentin Grimes last year, but Quentin Grimes got hurt. But, and he was clearly desperate to play Sims. He was sneaking Sims in the game whenever he could. Just a couple weeks ago, you know he wants to play Sims. But, you know, he has loyalty towards Hartenstein. And I'm sure he acknowledges the things that Hartenstein did for the team earlier in the season to just sit him down. To have yet another veteran that you're just sitting down. Even though they're not playing terribly, terribly. Well, in Hartenstein's case, at least not playing nearly as bad as Fournier was early in the year where he was like a minus 14. Hartenstein, you can still find some redeeming qualities in his gameplay, and he has a much larger sample size of good play this year, so sitting him down altogether is really a kind of a smack in the face. I'll stand by what I said before about trading him. I talked about it before. Trade Hartenstein to Covington. Do your homework on Covington. Make sure he can still play. Trade in the heart, trade heart to Covington and just bring in, if you need to, bring in another big body just in case somebody gets hurt. Bring him up to speed. End of the bench, G League. But Sims is more consistent with what the team's longer term goals are and possibly what their shorter term goals are. It's debatable. And I talked about that last episode. We should probably get into the numbers on it in a number comparison. It's a smaller sample size with uh, with Sims, but maybe we should do that next show. Some more notes on this game and the collapse towards you know the collapse of the lead once again. And I'm going to temper this by saying Julius Randle could have could have gotten called for that foul on Matherin at the rim. Other teams don't get called for that when they do it to, uh, to the Knicks, but that's usually a whistle when the Knicks do it, absolutely, especially if it's Mitchell Robinson. So the Knicks may have gotten away with one, but that steal, and this is kind of a, one of the game-changing plays because the Knicks kind of, they kind of fought the runoff with a couple minutes to go and made some good, really big plays and got some big stops. They need to inbound the ball. RJ inbounds to Mitchell. And Mitchell 
has to reach out in front of him, directly in front of him to catch it. But Taze, a player who I mentioned last show, I didn't think he would even play, but Miles Turner got Mitchellitis and didn't play. <laughs> got back spasms right before the game. I hope he's all right. Now listen, I'm joking around. I hope, hope everything's all right. I've had back spasms before. They're not fun. But Pataze, 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 however you want to say it, Pataze. I love the kid. I'm not going to lie to you. I mentioned him last show, and he came into he and he hit the dagger. Not really a dagger. We'll call it a we'll call it a dart. We'll call it a dart because there's a there's a stretch of time there where it's like the lead is ten, the lead is eight. Okay, they're here, but we still got you know. We still push this. A couple possessions and we can get this back to double figures. And then this dude hits a three. And it's like, oh, my God. This dude is about to light us up now. And I was just talking about him. I know he loves playing this team. And Carlisle pulled a fast one on the Knicks. I'm telling you he did. He started James Jones to – or James Johnson, I'm sorry, to start the game. And then he doesn't play anymore. He goes small, and then he goes back big and puts Pataze, Pataze, however you say his name. And you know the Knicks struggle with shooting centers the whole entire game. They haven't had a shooting center in the game. They put him in the game, and what does he do? He pops a three right off the bat. Makes another play in transition. I just like that guy. Why didn't he play him the whole game? I know Carlisle knows that this guy plays well against the Knicks. Why did he play the whole game? My only guess is he didn't have the stamina to play the whole game. And he was saving him for the second half. That's my only guess. Because there's no reason why he wouldn't have played this dude. This dude always killed the Knicks. It's a short, it's a small sample size, but Carlisle was here while he was doing it. So I don't know why. I really don't know why he did not play him all game. Other than the fact that he may not have had the stamina. Anyway, Mitchell Robinson extends his arm to catch the ball directly in front of him. Pataze is behind him, directly behind him. Wraps one arm around his waist. Reaches around on the other side and knocks a ball away that's extended away from Mitchell Robinson's body. Directly in front of him, in his hands. Knocks it away on the catch while wrapping his arm around his waist. All the way on the other side. That's a foul in all 50 states seven days a week and twice on Sunday. You see that foul call all the time in the post. It's called all the time. Essentially, he had him posted up. He had him, he had him pinned so that RJ could have an outlet to him and throw the ball directly to him with Pataze behind him pinned. And he was. And Pataze just wrapped, he wrapped his arm around his waist and reached around on the other side. And it's not like the ball was thrown to Mitchell's chest. The ball was extended from his body, full extension in front of him. That is a foul, and it's not called. It was a big turnover in the game. The Knicks inbound that ball. They run a set. Take more time off the clock. These fouls have got to be called down the stretch. And as much as the Knicks are being weak with the ball, in these spots and they're making a ton of mistakes and they're doing schematic things like running the shot clock all the way. I think that's the one thing I think I mentioned earlier that they did a little bit better yesterday 
not all of the possessions did they piss away and wait too long to initiate offense. They were a little bit better with that and a little bit more composed in a few more possessions. There's a lot of possessions. Like I said, it was a three-point game with nine minutes to go. So there were a lot of possessions for them to screw up, and some of them they did. But more possessions, maybe because there was more time left with this comeback. It wasn't a comeback in the last couple minutes, the last few minutes. It was a comeback that started at the end of the third quarter, so they had to do this the whole fourth quarter was like pins and needles. So they had more possessions in general. So they screwed up a bunch of possessions like they have been all year. But they had more possessions yesterday where they made good decisions, mostly because of Brunson, did not wait too long on the shot clock to take a shot. But they also had possessions where they did do that and threw the ball away, etc. But just seeing that there were some where they understood we can't wait till six seconds on the shot clock to start a move, we have to do this earlier, was comforting to some degree. Okay, and then having quickly on the floor, and you saw this down a stretch where he made that perfect play to, to Quentin Grimes on the in the weak side corner, a pass that IQ struggles to make. Maybe because there are bigs usually in the game, and in this particular case, there weren't. But he made that pass to the weak side corner, and you hardly ever see it when he gets penetration into the paint. It was a perfect pass, a perfect play, and he also scored in a little secondary transition uh, with another big play down the stretch from him. So having him on the floor seems to have some benefits, having another ball handler, another guy who can make decisions with the ball and and is not maybe as scary as Quentin Grimes has been. Quentin, Quentin doesn't always look like it feels like Quentin Grimes doesn't feel like he's supposed to have the ball in his hand sometimes. Sometimes he's ultra-aggressive and he makes very good plays. Other times he's like, oh, I'm not supposed to have it. Let me find somebody to pass to. And it's like, no, man. You can have the ball, too. You can dribble. You can get yourself out of trouble here. IQ understands that intuitively. And it was a benefit to the Knicks last night when they needed it. So maybe some schematic improvement to some degree down the stretch of the game. But the sh- down the stretch was the entire fourth quarter. You got, like I said before, you got to give the Knicks credit for nursing a three-point lead for nine minutes in the fourth quarter. If you're going to talk about the 25-point lead, they lost. And again, Tibbs trending again for not making adjustments. Just understand when you when you criticize Tibbs, understand how many points per game the Knicks are averaging, which is right around the middle of the league. Understand their offensive rating is, at least recently, top 10 in the league. And their defensive rating, I believe, is top two or three. Tom Thibodeau reminds you of this every single night, but the ratings do change game to game here and there. Every single night in that press conference, conference, Tom Thibodeau tells you all about it, as if to remind all the haters and his front office and his owner Hey, man, you can criticize me all you want, but look where I am. Look where this team is. You can tell me I'm trash at this. You can tell me I'm trash at that. I got to do this better, that better. The team doesn't do this, blah, blah, blah. Top 10 offensive efficiency. Top 2 defensive efficiency. Holla at Every press conference. 
he lets you know. And you got to, you have to put it in perspective. There are things that are not being done right. There are improvements that need to be made. No question, no doubt. We can agree on 98% of them. At the end of the day, the end product is better than what most of you thought it was going to be. Most of the league, what they thought it was going to be. And when you look inside the numbers, the Knicks are playing at a pace, at a rate that should yield a better record. So while acknowledging that, you also have to acknowledge that the record that they have is better than you thought it was going to be and better than their their talent suggests it should be, it should be according to everyone else so you got to got to take the good with the bad you hope that they get better at these Randall looked real scary down the stretch I talked about it he looked real scary down the stretch and I didn't like it I didn't like it anytime the Knicks had and I've always felt this way so this has kind of been like a Nick thing in general since going back to the 90s I I have always Hoped that the Knicks would be losing at halftime because leads at halftime don't mean anything and they never have for Knicks. And I'm sure a lot of fans feel the same way. I'd much rather have the Knicks feel like they got to play hard to get back into a game, not necessarily down 20 points, but 13, 14 points. I'd much rather them be in a mindset of we have to get back into a game than be in a mindset of we're going to nurse this lead for this whole second half. Because they start nursing leads and they get real bad. Like I said, I saw a little, a little improvement yesterday with that. But some of that, some of that had to do with IQ being on the floor and having that secondary playmaker was important last night. And Quentin Grimes, I believe, can be that guy, but right now he's not. And you can put that on Tom Thibodeau a little bit, and you, obviously you got to blame Quentin a bit too. But and of course, Randall. Because that's supposed to be your job as well. But we ran over time. I didn't want the show to be quite this long. Make sure, don't forget, every game, every show, I'm going to let you know. Check out sportsethos.com. Follow at sportsethos on Twitter. Follow at ethosnicks. I told you Knicks had some winnable games coming up. The Wizards coming up tomorrow a game again. The Wizards can beat you. They got a shooting big. You know the Knicks hate that. They got the old friend KP. He might not play though. He's fighting some injuries. Beal, I think I just saw a little blurb that Beal might have been cleared to play, so that won't be fun. But the Wizards tend to play worse when Beal is on the floor, so who knows what that's going to look like. But this is a winnable game for the Knicks. The Knicks got to win it. The Wizards, they were playing at a decent rate earlier in the year, but they've been they've been struggling. They're below 500. This is not a game the Knicks can afford to lose, and that's that's the type of game that a Knicks fan is going to be scared about. The team has been really good about playing those teams, though, all year. So that's part of being a fan, but we'll be there. Follow on Twitter. Follow the conversation. Until next time.